Hello and welcome to Big Recon Big Sunday here on the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon, and today is Sunday, November the 29th. That's right, we are here at the end of November, which means there is only one month left in the year that has been 2020. Thank God. But on to other things, as I have not been around since last week's preview of Ohio State at Indiana. I'm going to get to that next, but we are 12 minutes from kickoff in Jacksonville, where the 7-3, listen again, for those who didn't think we'd ever get here again, where the 7-3 Cleveland Browns take on the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 12 action. Notice it's Jaguar, not Jaguar. Doesn't end in W-I-R-E. Sorry, pet peeve. Um, so let's talk about last week first and the win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, the defense showed out. They did exactly what I have preached since week one with this team, and they won the battle at the line of scrimmage every single play. They hit Carson Wentz incessantly without Miles Garrett. Olivier Vernon, huge game. Three sacks, including a safety. Denzel Ward comes up with an interception. Toward the end of the game, you had the two huge runs from both Nick Chubb and from uh, Kareem Hunt. Hunt jumped over half the line while Wyatt Teller was blocking the other half of the uh, Philadelphia team. And Nick Chubb, in his best homage to The Undertaker, choke slammed somebody with a stiff arm. All in all, you can't ask for much more. Baker did what Baker needed to do. He kept the Browns on schedule. He made big third down throws when he needed to. He kept the ball moving for that running game, which was stopped most of the first half, to get going and get a W to bring the Browns to 7-3 and three and take over sole possession of second place in the AFC North behind the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, we know what's going on this past week. The Steelers-Ravens game was pushed from Thanksgiving night to Sunday and now due to COVID issues to Tuesday. The Browns are dealing with some COVID stuff themselves. As now, this week against Jacksonville, it is even more important for the run game and Baker Mayfield to keep this team on schedule. Here's why. The Cleveland Browns go into today on the inactive list due to injury without Denzel Ward, Dontrell Hilliard, who's really only returning kickoffs, um, but a nice third, uh, cha- nice third back to have, uh, Sheldrick Redwine, who played great last week, and backup center Nick Harris. Uh, are all on the inactive list due to injury. That's not to mention Sione Takitaki, who had a pick six last week. Miles Garrett, who's the defensive player of the year. Uh, Janovich, who is the um, who is the uh, fullback. And a couple other players are on the COVID list. They are not playing because of positive tests. Now, don't know when any of these guys are going to be back. I hope because Garrett missed last week, Miles Garrett is back next week when the Browns play the uh, Baltimore Ravens, or I'm sorry, the Tennessee Titans uh, in Tennessee. Going to need him to help stop Derrick Henry in that Tennessee offense. So let's preview today. Listen, it's, you know, I hear the theme song from MASH in my head. Um, it, They are the walking wounded this week. But most of the issue is on the defensive side of the ball. Olivier Vernon's going to have to come up big today. He's going to have to lead that defensive line, um, 
you know, Adrian Claiborne's going to be there with him. You still have the big men in the middle in uh, Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi. They're going to have to dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, without Redwine in the back end, without De- Denzel Ward, who played last week like he was, it was his best, the best Den- uh, Darrell Revis impersonation I've ever seen. Now, for those who don't know my fandom, uh, I grew up a Jet fan. Uh, really dual fandom because of my living in Cleveland from the time I was 14 until the time I was 21. And picking up the Browns, being there when they left, being there when they came back, having gone to Browns training camp in the late 80s and saw guys with names like Biner and Kosar and Newsom and those boys. So I've always had an affinity for the Browns and I flipped the script several years ago. Uh, when Brian Hoyer, who went to St. Ignatius High School with my cousin Patrick, shout out to St. Ignatius, um, became the starter. I kind of bought into the Browns, and now I'm getting even crazier like the rest of everybody in Ohio. So this is the first time they are going to... I mean, last year without Miles Garrett was rough. But last year without Miles Garrett was rough because of other issues besides that. This is the first time we're going to be tested without both Miles and Denzel this season. Uh, we know Greedy still hasn't played. We got Kevin Johnson playing for uh, Denzel Ward today. Malcolm Smith will start in the spot of Sione Takitaki. This is a Browns defense that's been hit pretty hard by both injury and COVID. So now we have to really wonder, how is this game going to be won? Well, here's where it's going to be won. It's going to be won in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line, for the most part, now is at full strength. Wyatt Teller is back. Uh, he was a huge missing piece when he wasn't playing. Eight rushing touchdowns before he got hurt. He comes back. They had two last week. This is a Browns team that can win this game. They are that talented on the offensive side of the ball against a Jacksonville defense that has not played well up to this point this season. Who knows what happens from here? No Gardner Minshew, so no mullet under center. I'm sorry, Minshew's the mustache. Sorry, my bad. The mullet's that coach in college. Gotcha. Oh, before I forget, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That was Thursday. My fault. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. So back to the game. Baker's going to have to come up big today. This is one of those games where Baker Mayfield may have to win this game because they're going to have to run the running backs into the ground in order to get it done. It's going to take a decent game from Baker. Maybe 250 through the air. Maybe two touchdowns. But if they get the running game going and they can pace themselves, the Browns can win this thing pretty easily. I don't have the spread here. I don't have, as far as prediction goes, I think the Browns are going to win this game to get to 8-3 and three and head into the last five, last six weeks of the season. Just to recap, the last six weeks of the Cleveland Browns season look like this. It is this week against Jacksonville. It is next week. Against the Tennessee Titans. It is the following week, Monday night, December the 14th, against the Baltimore Ravens. Then it's two weeks in New York as they play the Giants on the on the 20th and the, and the Jets on the 27th. And they close out the year on January the 3rd at home on the lake in the elements against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who hopefully by that time will not be undefeated. Actually, you know what? I'd like to see him beat an undefeated uh, Pittsburgh team. That would be pretty cool uh, to ruin that day. So they got to get today first. Keys to the game. Dominate the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball. Get as much push against the quarterback as you can 
on the defensive side of the ball. The Browns won that game last week because of the pounding they gave to Carson Wentz. No ifs, ands, or buts. They hit him as much as I've seen a quarterback get hit by a Browns defensive line in a very, very long time. They did not blitz very much, which when you hit the quarterback that often, usually you're running a lot of blitzes. They didn't blitz that much. Denzel came off the edge to cr- to create the the floater that Taki Taki picked off and ran in for the pick six. But outside of that, it was a lot of pressure from the defensive line. Got to keep that going this week. Got to impose your will on the offensive side of the ball by winning the line of scrimmage, by taking advantage of the plethora of weapons that are still healthy. Jarvis is there. Hollywood is there. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had the huge game against Cincinnati, is there. Kaderil Hodge has been great. You have the two-headed monster, which is the best backfield in the NFL. And then, of course, you have the three-headed monster at tight end with Harrison Bryant, Austin Hooper, and David Njoku. The Browns are loaded to win this game, and they need to win this game. They have to get to 8-3 and three going into a Tennessee game, who is one of the teams that beat, beat up on the Ravens and gave the Steelers their, their toughest test so far. Winning this game, getting to 8-3, and three means at worst... You're 8-4 and four going into the Baltimore game and can really s- s- end Baltimore's season with a win at home. Going to 7-4 and four and then going to Tennessee means you have a less, less of a margin for error against Baltimore. It means you cannot have a hiccup in New York. You cannot. You have to bo- beat both the Jets and the Giants. And then you have to go into the last week of the season and hope you get the help you need and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why not just end all the speculation now? Win the next win today and move on to Tennessee. So I like the Browns today. I like them by a touchdown. Uh, 27-20. I think Baker can put up points on this defense. I think the running game will be fine against this defense. Um, and we are two minutes to kick off, and that's about where I wanted to end the stuff on the Browns. Um, so again, 27-20, Cleveland wins today, gets to 8-3, and three, and now we're talking about the playoffs are in their hands. For the first time in a long time. Remember, 7-3, 1994. Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns the last time they were 7-3. Uh, Here's a trivia question for you. Who was the quarterback? The answer? Vinny Testaverde. That's a name we haven't heard in a long time. So, there's the Browns preview and the review of last week against Philadelphia. So let's change hats, guys. To the third-ranked team in the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So let's start with last week. Did anyone else have heart failure last week against Indiana? Because I did. That game should not have been that close, but let's talk about first. Let's talk about Indiana. Michael Penix Jr. is a phenomenal quarterback. He had a day for the ages against the Buckeyes, that I have not seen in my years of watching Ohio State football. I started watching Ohio State football, you ready for this? 25 years ago. Being from upstate New York, we don't get a lot of college football. It's usually Syracuse when there's a good player, which means, you know, Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, Donovan McNabb, Dwight Freeney. Or we get the United States Military Academy at West Point, which is right up the road. I've been to Mikey Stadium, and I've been to the Horseshoe. I've only got two stadiums I really want to go to. As much as I can't, I hate to say it, I do want to go see a game at Notre Dame, and I'd love to go to the Coliseum in L.A. Um, or, I'm sorry, the Rose Bowl. Not the Coliseum. 
Having said that, let's go back to Indiana. Let's go back to the game that Michael Penix had. I mean, he... And here's the thing. I said on Friday night when I talked about this game that the Buckeyes had to win the line of scrimmage. And they had to hit the quarterback. Well, guess what? They did that. They won the line of scrimmage. They pressured Michael Penix almost every single down. They gave up negative rushing yards. Penix threw for almost 500 yards through the air. It exposed the Ohio State secondary because Penix is the second best quarterback in the Big Ten, not named Justin Fields. Speaking of Justin Fields, the most mistake-filled game that he has played since he came to Ohio State. Sorry. Running my mouth like this, I get thirsty. So the most mistake-filled game he's played since he came to Ohio State, three interceptions, but they ran the ball a bunch, which is huge. Because if you talk to any analyst that has any kind of salt, i.e. all the guys on Fox, they will tell you that the thing that's been missing from Ohio State's offense all season is Trey Sermon and Master Teague. They just have not been what Ohio State is used to. Think about the, the line of running backs that Ohio State has had in the last five to ten years. You go from Carlos Hyde to Zeke Elliott to Mike Weber to J.K. Dobbins, now to Master Teague and Trey Sermon. They just have not played as well as they really were expected to play. Do we have heightened expectations because it is Ohio State and it is Ryan Day and it is Justin Fields? Yeah, we do. Let's be very honest there. But they had not played up to anybody's expectations. Maybe even their own. So really what you're looking at is you're looking at a team that needed a running game and got it. Uh, Sean Wade, who was projected to be a top pick in the draft, like every other defensive back that's come out of Ohio State the last few years, is pick six. And that's the touchdown that won them the game. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line was great. Uh, they played and put in a lot, put a lot of pressure on Penix. The linebackers played very well. the The issue was the outside, and the outside meaning the corners got burned almost every down. There were too many big plays. There were too many guys who were running wide open because of bad communication in the secondary. There were too many guys, in my opinion, getting away with being more physical than the defensive backs. I'm not saying they missed pass interference. I'm not going to run my mouth about that because there's no point a week later for me saying anything about it. I felt the wide receivers for Indiana were more physical than the corners for Ohio State, which is not something you saw when guys like Jeff Okuda and Denzel Ward and um, Jordan Fuller and, uh, you know, I could list them all, Eli Apple, um, Marshawn Lattimore, I can keep going. When those guys were there, there were no more physical players on the outside than the defensive backs from Ohio State. Now, is it a toughness thing? Is it a, am I not giving enough credit to the Indiana wide receivers? I'm going to say this. I think it's a little bit of both, and it's not toughness. When you lose two defensive backs and the best defensive linemen in the draft in the first round, they're going to be tough to fill in. When you lose these guys and then are playing with a pandemic, with very little practice, no games, you dove right into your conference schedule, you're going to have these hiccups against talented teams. And let's start there. 
Indiana is an extremely talented team. Tom Allen has done a phenomenal job with that team. You cannot take anything away from them. They played outstanding. They made plays when they needed to. And they really took it down right to the end with the crossing, of, you know, the trying to do the, um, the throwback passes on the last play to do. They played a great game. Ohio State got the one defensive touchdown, which they needed. And look at that. The Buckeyes escape, beating a top 10 team at home by a touchdown. They led the game by 21 points. You have to give Indiana credit for coming back and almost winning that game. So it takes the Buckeyes to 4-0. They come out number 4 in the first college football playoff ranking. I disagree with this here. Um, Ohio State had a top 10 win. Clemson had a top 10 loss. Listen, I don't care that it was on the road at Notre Dame. I don't care that Trevor Lawrence didn't play. You got over 400 yards of offense out of your quarterback. You got taken to overtime by a team that is not as talented as you. Preseason number one should play like the number one. And I understand Trevor Lawrence didn't play. But guess what? Notre Dame isn't as talented as Clemson. Not, not anywhere near. So Clemson got credit for playing the garbage ACC and losing a close game on the road. Ohio State took a hit because the Big Ten is trash. The Big Ten is absolute trash. Which I'm going to get into next. Um, for playing absolute trash and escaping a top 10 team at home. But here's the bottom line. You know what the best thing about being 4-0 is? The chance to go to 5-0. Which now, let's get into what's been going on this last week. As Ohio State's game against Illinois was canceled on Friday night and not played due to a COVID outbreak on the team. Now, the big headlines. Ryan Day, head coach. He tested positive, like Nick Saban, uh, down at Alabama. Here is the difference. Um... The Big Ten is it wants teams to play a certain number of games to play for the championship. Ohio State needs to play the last two games that they're going to play in order to get there. That's next week against Sparty and the big one in two weeks at home against uh, Harbaugh, Khaki Pants, and that team up north. I don't know if they're going to do it. The scary part may be that Ohio State may play one of those two games, blow somebody out, and make it to the playoff but not win the Big Ten because the Big Ten commissioner is an idiot. I love Big Ten football, but now let's get into that. The Big Ten has been hot garbage this year. When your two biggest threats to what Ohio State has been the last three years running, which is the Big Ten Eastern Division champion, are one-win teams. That's right. That team up north and the Nittany Lions have each won one game. And the Nittany Lions just beat Michigan. Beat them by 17 points. Or 10 points, something like that. 27-17, beat them by 10. Um, We could be looking at an exodus out of the Big Ten by Big Ten officials to get rid of two of the better coaches. As much as I can't stand him, he's not a bad football coach, that guy who wears khaki pants. 
but he does not. He's he won't change. He won't do things to make his team better, and this is why he can't win. That and Ryan Day is recruiting like an absolute animal. Cool side piece that if it would have been played yesterday, Larry Johnson, the um, Ohio State assistant coach, would became the first African American coach and Ohio State head coach in Ohio State football history. Uh, Johnson has been a phenomenal asset to the Buckeyes since Urban Meyer took over in 2012, and he stayed on Ryan Day's staff moving forward. Um, he is a great coach. He has been grooming players um, for Ohio State for the last eight years. He is the defensive line and associate head coach, which means Larry Johnson has had his hands in the development of Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and Chase Young. Do you know what they have in common? Top couple picks in the NFL draft the year they came out. Chase Young was a Heisman finalist. Maybe the most dominant defensive lineman since Indomitian Suzy last year at Nebraska. It has been an amazing thing to watch what Larry Johnson has done on the defensive line. He brings a toughness into that room that is highly underrated. He also had Sam Hubbard, who is starring for the Cincinnati Bengals. Jonathan Cooper will play on Sundays, and he's been great the last couple weeks. Um, he has turned Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett into two of the best defensive tackles in the entire country. This is the guy who's helping Ryan Day. This is why I have faith that they can turn it around in the final two games that they play them, get to 6-0, and get to Indianapolis, and then who are you going to play? Because Sparty, who we got Saturday, just beat Northwestern. Purdue lost to Rutgers. Purdue lost to Rutgers. Iowa has not played well this year. Although I don't know what they did Friday against Nebraska. Um, Let's take a look. They beat Nebraska by six. They're four and two um, at Kennick. Uh, hopefully they did, they did the wave, which is my favorite part of a game at, at Iowa. So um, coming up on the 25-minute mark, so let's get into what's coming up. I am going to, I am still working on episode 100. It, it is far more difficult than I thought it would be. <laughs> so the Michael Jordan, LeBron James episode uh, is forthcoming. It will be done very soon. Uh, episode 100 should be in the next several weeks. Uh, let me get to the count here. All right, that's this is episode 88. So we got 12 episodes left, which are going to include, yes, next weekend, double dipping, Saturday morning, Ohio State, Michigan State. I will preview the game against Sparty in East Lansing. Uh, Sunday morning, I will preview Browns and Tennessee Titans. Next week, or a week from this coming Friday, Friday night, December 11th, live event, a fanatical preview of the 117th playing of the game between that team up north and the Ohio State Buckeyes. I cannot wait for this. That weekend will be crazy, not only because it's that game, but it's my son's birthday. 
been trying to get him and his uh, other half to come down to the house to watch the game. Uh, she goes to the University of Miami, and I told her she needs to come down and watch actual college football. So we got the 100th episode coming. We're going to get a hot stove episode together with the boys in the, in the next few weeks. Once free agents start to sign, got a lot of big stuff coming out of baseball that we're going to have to dive into because guess what? This offseason is going to be like none other that we have ever seen, but it's going to be interesting. Blake Snell, who was pulled out of the final game of the World Series early, is now on the trading block. The Mets are now the front runners for JT Real Muto because the Phillies won't re-sign him. Lots coming. Browns are already underway. If you have radio access, get on there and listen to Jim Donovan and Doug Deacon because that is the best way to listen to a Browns game that you could ever have. As always, Big Regan can be found as I switch the hats back. As a proud member of the TimeSkew Podcast Network, we can be found right here on both YouTube and Facebook Live. Big Recon on sports for both of those. On Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Big Recon on sport on Twitter. And, of course, at timeskew.com as part of the TimeSkew Podcast Network. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy your week. I will come to you next Saturday morning as we get into more Buckeye football. Go dogs!